Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Mike Texera. He's the president and founder at Deck Presentations. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Kevin. How's it going? I'm very well. Yourself? I'm good. I'm I'm excited to have you on the show. I I think what we're going to talk about today, a lot of people don't maybe necessarily think it is as important as, well, you and I both believe, but maybe before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, I grew up in southern Massachusetts in a little town called Swansea, Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, my, yeah, my parents were from uh, Portugal. They immigrated around 71, and I was born in 72. So it was, it was an interesting time to grow up because the, um, the strategy back then when you immigrated from another country was, you know, Americanize as quickly as you can. Um, so we took our very Portuguese-sounding name, Teixeira, and changed it to Texera um, Interesting. very quickly. Yeah, and I grew up in a Portuguese household in very uh, white, blue-collar kind of America in the 70s. And it was uh, a lot of fun, actually. But at the same time, it gave me a perspective of uh, people speaking one language and living in a culture that spoke another language. So right from the get-go, I was kind of the bridge in communication. Interesting. So you went to university. What did you take and why? Um, I ended up, well, let's go back to the way I grew up a little bit. So like I said, I grew up in a Portuguese household in a very American suburb. And that made me feel very isolated and different um, because, you know, my my family's customs and, and our language is so different from everybody else's. So as a result, I ended up being very closed off and really shy. I was always afraid I'd say the wrong thing or I wouldn't know the rules to basketball and get laughed at. Um, but uh, for some reason, on a fluke chance, I selected to take an acting class. And it was the moment that transformed my life. Uh, I was taught by this really gregarious, outrageous, loud Italian called Mr. Marcello, who was just fascinating to me. Uh, Next thing I knew, I was up on my street and it uh, up on my feet and it transformed so much about me. It gave me courage. It made me realize that I had been a poor student before, but all of a sudden I found out that I understood history and English so much easier by reading Shakespeare and then speaking the words and being on my feet. So it was a transformative experience in my life. So flash forward when it was time to go to college, uh, I had won some awards for acting and, you know, the high school level stuff. So I had my choice of several colleges to go to. And but I wanted to go to the college that Mr. Marcello had gone to, that's Emerson College in Boston. And I majored in theater. Interesting. OK. Yeah. So not your typical corporate communication background. Well, but I, but I think at the same time, that skill set 
translates really well into what you do now. Or do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I do. I think it was an interesting uh, case of timing. I think right as I was coming into the professional world, people started to focus more on the importance of storytelling, the importance of, of creating narrative as regardless of what your product or your industry was. And um, I was able to take advantage of that. You know, I was really good in the boardroom. I was really good at taking, you know, a business need of getting more customers to buy a widget and translating that into websites and, and brochures and, and annual reports that actually were a lot more interesting and built around the story. So I was able to, to ride that into a, a pretty awesome career in corporate communications. Okay, so walk us through that career up until what you're doing today at uh, Deck Presentations. All right, well, <laughs> I'll do this in a real quick timeline kind Maybe of Maybe it's just some so highlights along the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I went to, to college thinking I was going to be an actor. I uh, graduated from college and went out to L.A. like everyone in, in, at Emerson College does. You sure. either go to L.A. or New York. I decided I wanted to be warm if I was going to be homeless. And, <laughs> Fair um, enough. <laughs> I did the uh, typical actor route. I ate ramen. I lived with four or five roommates, uh, had crazy jobs from, you know, clown at birthday parties to uh, waiter, gap, whatever I could do to keep myself available for auditions. And then one day I ended up at Paramount Studios trying to get in the door. I was a uh, tour guide and uh, the position is called a page. I was a studio lot page. Right. And so we were tour guides and we were uh, ushers for TV show tapings. And they also use a few of the, the pages to be temps. Uh. And the uh, Paramount licensing department needed a temp. And my job was supposed to be to just sit there and answer the phone because they had just lost their creative director. Okay, but I'm not the type to just sit there and answer the phone. I started teaching myself all this design software I was surrounded by. Uh, I started to learn what a creative director does. I started to learn design. And I definitely didn't have the abilities I later acquired, but it was a really good crash course in what communications was on the corporate level. And I was in boardroom meetings that, Probably I shouldn't have been in till 10 years later in my career, but it was really a trial by fire. And it was, it was there that I realized I had a knack that transcended acting. And I started down the journey, uh, getting further away from acting on a stage and speaking in front of people in boardrooms, translating concepts into stories. And flash forward, I worked for Paramount for a bit. I worked for another branding company in LA that did uh, the original T um, Turner classic new movie branding oh, yeah. for cool. um, all that cool illustrative art that they do. And um, Hunter Douglas, and then came back home for family reasons. And I worked at Gillette and state street sure. and eventually became a creative director at a uh, PR marketing firm in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And that's where I stayed for the last 10 years. And all along the way, I realized how, painful presentations were. And I said, geez, this seems to be a sore spot over and over again. People hate to do them. People dread them. 
Uh, it's this huge group effort that everybody uh, tugs and pulls, you know, and fights over the yeah. ideas of what they're going to present and takes so much longer than I thought it should, but I didn't really have a solution in the early years. But I did realize that it was a need. And, you know, about three years ago, I had a client, uh, as I was still a creative director, uh, who their marketing team came into our agency and they were completely on the same page as their leadership, which I don't know if you've worked in creating. Yeah. Very much so. you know design on the corporate level yeah that is so rare yeah. usually it's the other way around you have a marketing team trying to guess what the leadership wants so they come in with their best guesses and work with an agency to create concepts and then they present it to the leadership and usually by the time it gets up there they're like no not even close to what we're thinking and you go through painful rounds of trying to to feel your way in the dark to align with the leadership well, this other company came in and their marketing team wasn't like that at all. They totally knew what their, what their chief technology officer wanted. They came to the table uh, prepared and with insights that were deeper than my typical clients. And I traced it back and realized that the CTO was awesome at presenting and speaking to his company. Interesting. So I was like, aha, this is the key. This is, this is the catalyst of, of how we can fix all this Tower of Babel nonsense happening right now with all the myriad communication channels we have is get back in the room with the leadership and teach them how to present well so that they can talk about their goals, their ambitions, their, their failures, and then their teams will be able to really, at a visceral level, understand the brand and then be able to translate that in stronger ways throughout their marketing efforts. So I took the lunch, uh, started DEC two years ago, and it has been phenomenal. Uh, I created a process that streamlines, you know, how you structure a presentation. I created a process that people could either use uh, their own resources to design slides or our resources to design slides. And I also added on the the coaching aspect, which is, you know, learning how to speak, learning how to relay confidence and presence. And um, that's, that's also been helpful. So those three legs of our services combine to really create something I think special and unique for our clients. And it's, it's proven to be uh, a phenomenal success. I just can't believe it. No, that that's really great, man. No, I hundred percent agree with you. Like I've been kind of on the design side my my whole career, and it, it's interesting because I've obviously had to do a ton of other people's presentations. Maybe not necessarily the content, but maybe you do a draft of the content, and then you're obviously doing all the layout and the design and the the graphic work around that. And you go you can go through hundreds like a hundred revisions and i know like i'm not even really exaggerating sure there may be not like a hundred major res revisions it only might be five or six maybe major revisions of that but you spend so much time and sometimes you're spending weeks on these things right and then you're you're right that the person usually presenting and i've said this a million times on the show before is I started the show to get over my fear of public speaking. And a lot of people that want to put themselves out there, they, they not only struggle building the deck, they need somebody else to get the deck. And then they're 
they might not be comfortable public speaking. And so do you want to dive a little bit deeper into how you work with somebody from kind of beginning concept to them actually getting on stage and presenting? Yeah, definitely. Because I think uh, what you just said right there is the key to so much pain is the constant evolution of a presentation deck almost to the last minute until yeah. the person is presenting, which creates uh, you know, a complete panic in your inner life when if you were trying to decide how to introduce yourself to someone uh, for the first time and you took 15 minutes to decide on different tactics on how you were going to introduce yourself, by the time you stood in front of that person, you would probably just babble nonsense. Yep. Um, my technique is to separate structure from design. And I know that that sounds obvious, but okay. we don't do that in, no. in real business life these days. And I get in the room with a presenting team and we think about the key component. Who is your audience? What do they need to know to make their decision to either invest in you or to agree that your progress is good or et cetera, et cetera. What do they need to understand that? And now how can you inform them in a way that gets them from point A, which is, you know, not thinking they should invest in you, for example, to point B, which is them believing that they should invest in you. It's not about what you want to say. It's about what they need. So that's a transformative shift in the way I work with clients. And once we understand that, then we get some post-its out, some jumbo post-its. We put them all up on the wall and we create a mock skeleton of the presentation. And no one leaves the room <laughs> till that skeleton is done. Nice. And that's uh, now our process at the most. But I tell the executives in the room, you're committing to this structure. This is how you will present. Because not only am I being a stickler, but I want to relieve the tension and the anxiety you feel. This is your flow. Go away and think about this flow. Think about how you would describe this flow in these points. And now let's put it into a blank presentation. Let me put these same thoughts onto blank slides. And I want you to go into the presenter notes and think about how you would naturally explain these different points. Interesting. That's what we call as a skeleton deck. Okay. Now, once that's complete, the designers finally have the tools they've always dreamed of. <laughs> they have key points per slide. They have the information of how that speaker typically wants to talk about this. And now they can actually do what they do best is figure out the visual metaphors to explain those points. Um, but then that, once that first draft is done, it goes back to the speaker uh, at that point, it's a discussion about the particular imagery we're using, the particular typeface you're using, the colors, but it's not about the content anymore, and it relieves so much tension. Uh, now that they've seen a draft, the speakers can really start to practice, which I think is vitally important about uh, standing up in their kitchens and saying the words out loud, and the designers can refine during that rehearsal process. They both meet at the end. And, and something can, can actually be presented that's moving, compelling, and, and gets an audience the answers they need. 
Interesting. No, I, I that makes a lot of sense. And I'm assuming you guys leave enough time at the end where the presenter can actually run through their deck and practice, I don't know, in front of their friends and family or coworkers and or the mirror a bunch of times, right? Yeah, that's the goal. I mean, Steve Jobs, I think, was the one who said that you have to divide it in thirds, prep, design, and uh, rehearsal at the end. Don't quote me on that, but there there yeah. is uh, someone who said that it should be in thirds. And I really believe that. You should spend as much time rehearsing as you did structuring the presentation, at the very least. Um, and and it's it's deciding what you're going to say and practicing what you're going to say is what alleviates all that public speaking pressure uh, sure. so that once you get in the room, you know where you want to go. No, that's fair. So I, I want to dive into the, uh, the actual helping people become a better presenter in a few minutes, but you mentioned something to me before we got talking or recording, sorry, that some people view the whole presentation thing as maybe a bit old fashioned and, and they don't care about it as much as they should, at least in my opinion and your opinion. So do you want to dive a little bit deeper into why having a good presentation is still so important, if not more important than ever, in my opinion? Yeah, I mean, there's, I, I mentioned a little bit earlier, um, having a good presentation is important to get your own marketing and communication uh, bicycle on the track, you know, and instead of spending your money to beta test AB versions of very expensive things to put together, ads, websites, and whatnot, why not try those ideas in front of a few audiences, a few clients, a few keynote speaker um, events, and watch for the pieces of your story that make people nod in approval, that make people motivated enough to come ask you questions about it after. Those are your golden communication nuggets that you can then spend the money to put into commercials and, and websites and whatnot. So presentation is vital to organize your marketing messaging and thoughts before you actually spend the money. Uh, that's number one. Yeah. And um, number two, so much of the problems that we're all agreeing uh, over on, on digital communication, the removal of empathy, the silo, you know, creating the silos around yourself online and the echo chamber effect. Sure. All of that stuff can be shattered if people get braver and present more because then you're forced to be empathetic because you've got to pay attention in that room. It's what's working and what's not working and you have to risk your, your emotional self. So it keeps you emotionally, I think, honest, which then can color the way you treat people online because that memory is so fresh. Interesting. No, I 100% agree with you. I, I think, well, I, I think the trick is, is if you want to start creating content and putting yourself out there, you're going to probably get asked to speak at some point, right? Or it might even be internally where you need to put together a presentation for 
the CEO or high level kind of C level or your manager or whatever in your own company. And if you come across really polished and, and everything's kind of well done, you're going to make yourself look even way better, right? Yeah, definitely. Without doubt. And then on top of that, not only uh, is it a result of you creating content that you'll be asked to speak, but once you start to really enjoy the pro process of structuring your thoughts and get, you know, getting in front of people and talking about it, hopefully you get braver and you step out into your own office and you say, hey, yeah. guys, I don't have any slides today, but I just had a meeting with a client where I just effed up beyond recognition and i want to share that with you so that you can learn from it this is where i fell down i thought the client cared about this they actually don't i you know and i think this person is a great example of all our clients that kind of communication people shut themselves in their offices and they don't do it but when you're a leader at a company that becomes your main job i think is to distill the world into what matters for your brand and how you can use your brand to, to service your customers. Uh, that doesn't happen if you don't step out of your office and actually speak. No, I 100% agree with you. That's actually quite, quite fascinating. So I'm curious, though, how do you work with people to actually become maybe comfortable with public speaking all the way up to maybe refining them as a speaker if they've done it a bunch of times before? Yeah, it depends a lot on where somebody is at. Um, if someone speaks a lot and they um, are still not comfortable with it, then it's usually a matter of shifting the perspective as to what they're doing in the room. Uh, for example, instead of believing that you're there to teach, you shifting a, a seasoned speaker to think about the fact that he's there to learn or right. she is there to learn might make all the difference because you got to open up that curiosity as a speaker of what's happening in the room. And so many speakers that have been doing it for a long time and still are fearful and still are coming across as wooden. That's where the disconnect is. So that's one key way to work with speakers. Uh, another side of the spectrum is the inexperienced speaker who hasn't spoken much and, and is really fearful of it. So those speakers, we can work on their confidence in their ideas and in their presentation structure, showing them that their structure is sound and their thinking is sound so they can be confident in that. And then giving them some real world experience uh, before they go out into meetings or events where a lot is on the line. There are tons of speaking opportunities in your own community, wherever you live. And I encourage young speakers to get out and take advantage of those. Uh, Pachaka Cha, TEDx, um, Moth Series, Long Story, uh, Toastmasters, whatever in your community is happening. Get out there and practice and don't invite anybody <laughs> so that you're, you're free to fail miserably. But you learn. And, um, you know, those are just a couple of ways. To, to work with speakers. But again, you gotta you gotta meet somebody where they're at and you gotta kind of really look and see what are they what are they suffering with and try to help them alleviate that. No, I, I hundred percent agree with you. It you mentioned a bunch of places where people can go speak. How easy it is to how easy is it to reach out to some of these organizations and actually get speaking gigs? Like 
because I think a lot of people are scared to even send that email saying, hey, can I do a talk on this subject or these handful of subjects? Would you be open to me putting together a presentation of uh, and talking at your next event? Yeah, you know, it's a great uh, new secret. But the speaking events in communities have exploded. I mean, once upon a time, it was like you had to get paid and be a vetted speaker for, you know, the big three events that came through your area. But now at the community level, I mean, we do a Pachakacha event in Portsmouth. We do it four times a year. And we are starving for speakers. So if someone says to us, hey, I'd like to speak about bicycle building, we're typically very open to the idea. And I think that that's true regardless of where you live. I mean, if that's true in a smaller community like Portsmouth, New Hampshire, uh, I bet you it's a hundredfold in in places like New York and California. uh... Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's been my experience too, is people are always looking for content on all across all mediums right and um i would put being a speaker and having people actually get up in front of people and talk and i think to your point a few minutes ago at especially at the smaller events people don't expect you to be this slick pro speaker and in a lot of cases they very much understand that you're trying to push yourself out of your comfort zone and teach them something right and i think People will give you a lot more leeway and credit and be supportive than they are negative towards like, oh, you were terrible, man. Like, I've never heard that when I think in some cases, if if you're more kind of on the earlier end of your or earlier side of your speaking career and maybe you struggled a little bit, people are more encouraging and, and are more open to come after come up to you after and say, what you did well and and maybe give you some like, Hey, I I know you stumbled a little bit, but like, you should keep at it. Like, I think I've seen more of that than the negative side. And I don't even remember a time where I've actually seen somebody be negative to somebody, right? I'm sure it does happen, but I think a lot of people don't realize is how encouraging other people are, especially when you put yourself out there. Have you found that as well? It sounds like you have. Yeah, I totally agree with you. The The biggest enemy we have is in fear of public speaking is ourselves. No one in the yeah. outside world is as harsh as you are to yourself. You're exactly 100% correct. Anytime I've seen new speakers go out and, and try this, this uncomfortable act, all they tend to get is encouragement. Yeah, totally. So I'm curious, though, what advice do you give people? Maybe let's give people a little bit of advice when they're actually looking to do some public speaking. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you're, you are you talking about how to locate public speaking opportunities, or once they book something, once what's they some book things something. that they can do to? Help? Well, maybe a bit okay. of both, actually, just out of curiosity. All right. Well, uh, let me let me try both. Uh, If you're looking for speaking opportunities, uh, I think a quick Google search um, is is your best bet. Uh, And then it's um, looking at some of the more um, uh, international efforts like the Moth Speaker Series and the Pachaka Chas of the world. Uh, Those are international, but they have local chapters when you can find 
uh, organizations like that that have local chapters, then that community level not only uh, has an opportunity for you, but it's also tend to have some resources. So they have tend to be able to help you through their experience of doing past events and, and uh, they're more willing to risk. So I think finding the big organizations that have local chapters uh, is a great way. And I think also pitching, not your business story, but pitching the things that are personal to you uh, when you're speaking to these committees uh, is, is vital. Again, you're learning how to be a public speaker. So put your uh, professional ambition on hold and really learn to be vulnerable by talking about you know, the, the way you grew up in, uh, you know, a Portuguese household and you felt isolated as a kid. Those are the things that will let you get to the furthest point in your speaking ability because that requires you to get uh, risky. It, uh, it allows you to connect with your personal experiences that will loosen you up. It will um, really give you an opportunity to see how it feels all the way on the extreme end of, of emotional risk. And I think that that's, those are the, the key moments to get out there and, and do in your early, early career. Um, as far as when you book a speaking uh, gig, it is uh, vital to do a couple of things. Number one is make sure you think about the audience first and structure your presentation uh, around what you believe they want to hear from you. And then your structure will be uh, much, much stronger. Practice, practice, practice before you speak. Say the words out loud. Don't just sit there and practice in your head. You want to stand up in your kitchen and, and say those words. When you feel those words coming out of your mouth, you understand where you're naturally going to stumble and you understand that you can deliver it without failing. So it builds your confidence. Uh, if you have an opportunity, get into an equally si equal sized room, have a friend of yours uh, sit at the back of the room and tell you if you're loud enough. Um, that's, that's usually a uh, stumbling block for many people. And lastly, I would say, while you're speaking, be curious. Look around the room. It's not about making eye contact with everybody in that room, but try to see if they understand what you're saying. And if when, when you're speaking, if you come at it that way, that you're there to see if they understand what you're saying, then that removes that stress that you put upon yourself of what am I going to say next? Um, People always say when you're networking, don't think about what you're going to say because sure. you'll forget about the person's name. It's the same principle. When you're thinking so much about what you're going to say next, um, you, for, you um, freeze up. Sure. When you start to wonder if people are comprehending what you're saying, then all of a sudden you're there in service of the audience and you become a different person. Sure. Interesting. No, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. The other thing that I'm curious to get your thoughts on that is actually video yourself doing your presentation, like put your iPhone or your Android phone or tablet or whatever across the room and just record yourself actually speaking. And then you can watch yourself because sometimes you stand a certain way that you like or you don't like, or you put your hands, or you talk with your hands, or you don't talk with, like, you will pick up so much of what you do just by recording yourself. Have you found that to be useful as well? 
Uh, I think it's useful if you have someone who's your coach, and I don't mean coach in a professional sort. It could be an informal coach. Okay. But if you have a coach who can look at it objectively, that can work. If you record yourself, uh, I worry that we're so critical of ourselves that you'll become fixated on the way you hold your hand. Even though nobody cares about the way you hold your hand, you will get fixated about on that. Okay, um, interesting. So I, I say video recording is definitely something that might be helpful if you're using an objective third party to review it with you. Uh, but in your early career, I would say don't do it. Um, okay. But interesting. The other thing that it, yeah, the other thing that made me um, that you reminded me of when you talked about videotaping is actually do try to videotape the event or the opportunity where you're speaking. Those are the opportunities where after the pressure's off, you can go back and after you've gotten some positive feedback from the audience, that's when you can go back and say, okay, people said they liked this. So now my self-critic is, is muted a little bit. Let me see if there's anything here I can improve. That videotape is vital. Right. Also, people are dying for content online. And I tell people that videotaping events you speak at is the, you know, one of those hidden pieces that you could be using in multiple channels online. And it's so easy to do. It's, you know, just video record what you, what event you get. And here's this, here's the tip. If it's awful, no one ever has to see it. So you can also hide yeah, it. Fair enough. No, that's interesting. The other thing that's worked for me really well is actually doing the show, like start a podcast. I, I think that can be a really easy way to start public speaking. And they can be pre-recorded, so you can edit pieces out, right? Or yeah. stumbles yeah, or screw-ups or, or whatever, right? And I, I get that's not really talking in front of people, but at least for me and my experience, it really helped me at least start on the journey of getting over my fear of public speaking. And, and it makes it a lot easier when you have to get up in front of people and actually talk now, at least in my experience. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's that's definitely a great tactic. Uh, podcast, uh, video recording yourself, getting up at every, you know, family gathering to do a toast. All of these are, uh, practice. And the more practice you get, the more you know that you won't fall apart when you're trying to speak, that you can connect thoughts and that you can recover from sure. whatever people ask you. Um, that gives you all the confidence you'll need. So is there any other advice that you would like to give people either when they're putting together their presentation and or uh, doing any public speaking? Yeah, I, I, I would reiterate, uh, focus on the audience and what they need to know and decide what you're going to say before you open up PowerPoint. Uh, when you get to the design aspect of it, uh, people have been saying this for years, but we still get confused over it. Less is more. If you're not a, an awesome graphic designer, if you don't know how to illustrate, don't beat yourself up and try to create these really complex slides. Sometimes a phrase across a solid color background can be just as powerful. Um, you don't need a slide for every set of your presentation. You need slides to remind you of what you want to say. I really believe that people should think of slides as visuals, milestones. 
oh, this car is supposed to remind me that I want to talk to you about the fact that our process is like a well-oiled engine in a Chevy Nova. You know, that's right. the kind of things that a slide at the point stand as your background in your class design that way. And lastly, just practice, 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 say the words, let them come out of your mouth. Perfect. Well, Mike, we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about you guys and any other links you want to mention? Yeah, the best place to start is our website, presentationsbydeck.com. And you can also check out our Instagram account, which is a great place to see some of our latest design work. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time in your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and have a good rest of your day, man. You too. This was a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on, Kevin. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.